This is Adam Manis. And I'm Peter Martin. And you're listening to the You'll Hear It podcast. Daily jazz advice coming at you. Today we're going to answer one of our listeners' questions about jazz artists you wish you could have played with, with bonus points for lesser-known players. <laughs> so this is like a hipster list. A hipster list. <laughs> yeah. And we're getting points from our listener. Bonus points. I bonus appreciate points. that. Yeah, this is great. Okay, I'm ready. Now, this is really cool because, I mean, jazz is a communal music. Jazz is, I, I think, it's wonderful when you play. we both gotten the chance to play with a lot of different players, and it's always inspiring. And it's always fun, you know, to think about, I think, because we've we've all listened to so many great artists, especially ones that perhaps even passed away before we started playing or were even born, and we kind of fantasize about what it would have been like to play with them. So i am really been looking forward to this one. The, the bonus points for lesser-known players. Why don't you start out and see if you can nail that one from the beginning? All right. So, uh, I mean, he's not lesser, lesser-known, but someone that I'd really love to play with, and I often do play with uh, in my practice and in my dreams, is the great drummer Vernel Fournier. Yes. Uh, from Ahmad Jamal's famous trio. Uh, New Orleans Zone. New Orleans Zone. I mean, there's a sound and a feel to his playing that... I don't know. I, I just I, I really wish I could get in there and live in that pocket for a mm-hmm. while. You know what I mean? I mean, I do it all the time when I play along with those records. But uh, yeah, that's that's someone that would be a, a kind of dream come true kind of thing for me. That's great. Um, so I'm going to go with another. Uh, try to get some bonus points for another lesser known player, and that would be John Coltrane. Sorry, who now? <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I'm going the other way. John Coltrane was somebody that I listened to. Um, you know, in terms of thinking about what it would be like to play with him, probably more than anybody when I was growing up. Mm. I actually don't listen to his recordings as much anymore, um, although I go into phases where I listen to it. And whenever I do, it's a very intense thing. And I think, you know, I mean, we we can talk about great players today, in the past, in the future. Um, there's many different types, but I think that John Coltrane is somebody that kind of sits above others in terms of intensity of his music. Mm. Um, and so that was always a really interesting thing for me. It was like, what would it be like to play with him? Now, he died in 1967. I was born in 1970, so I never had any, any illusions that I was going to actually play with him. But somehow in the back of my mind, I could always sort of picture it. I was sort of the weak link in the quartet, the way I pictured <laughs> it, but I was in there. I was like, I was like the seventh sub for McCoy. That's you know? awesome. And, um, but I, no, I mean, I, could, I really could see myself sort of entering into that realm of intensity with Elvin Jones, John Coltrane. And that's the thing, playing with John Coltrane, it's kind of like I was thinking about a specific period with that, with that most powerful quartet that he had. Um, you know, Jimmy Garrison, uh, John Coltrane, Elvin Jones, and me. You know? <laughs> yeah, that'd and, be very uh, fun. I mean, it just, that, that would have been great. And I mean, I listened to it enough that I feel like I could have at least made the gig, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for my second choice, I'm going to go with the great bassist, uh, Charles Mingus. I mean, uh, I'm so steeped in his his you know recordings, um, and I just love his compositions. I love his playing a lot, too. I think he gets a little bit undervalued as a, as a great bass player. But, uh, man, I, I want to know what it's like to be in, in one of those bands, you know, where they're where they're doing those those really complicated but grooving arrangements, yeah, and just lay in that groove. So, you know, the piano parts on those two were just 
can get kind of repetitive. And I mean, yeah. I just, I, I want to be in there, you know? Yeah. But in terms of the timeline, you would have been just like a little baby in a diaper trying to play those parts. Could you have handled it at that time? Early seventies, mid seventies? Dude, I was, I'm 78, man. I, I was oh, not so, oh, twinkling so, my dad's talk eye. About ne- talk about negative <laughs> space now. That would have been tough. All right. No, I hear you. Yeah. Um, okay. Now I'm going to think about somebody that I would have loved to play with and go with another giant, but Louis Armstrong. Mm. And the reason being is like I feel like a lot of his, especially early recordings, um, not a lot of them, but some of them, the pianist was kind of well. Everybody was sort of behind Louis Armstrong because he was just he was still kind of inventing this new style. Years and years and years. Yeah. So I feel like if I could take what I know now, but have gone back in time, I could have kind of kept up with Louis Armstrong in a way that his pianist couldn't until later years. So I really feel like I would have had something to say at that time. So that would have been a lot of fun. <laughs> you would have had know? the advantage of 80 years on him. <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, just, you know, the, the joyousness of his playing and it, it always just struck me like he would have been such a fun person to be on the road with, to play with. The hang would have been amazing, you know, and then the whole New Orleans connection. That would have been awesome. Oh, man, that's great. Yeah. Uh, so I am going to go with trumpeter Clifford Brown as my last choice. Mm. Um, because, and you know, I keep, I, I realize that I'm picking everybody based on how they feel yeah. and how they make me feel. And, you know, again, I would love to, to comp behind that eighth note, that like glorious eighth note that he had that was so swinging and the language so pure and clear and the idea so well defined and the trumpet playing so marvelous. Um you know, especially I'll, I'll even add a little bonus of, of Max Roach, that era of everything, you know, the, them together. You know, I, I don't know how many times I've played along to like Cherokee and all that stuff on yep. those records. And I would really love, ha, would have loved to have played with uh, with Clifford Brown. So um, I was going to close it off, but then I realized we didn't get a lot of bonus points. You started well with the Vernal Fournier and oh, then yeah. we kind of <laughs> hit like the masters. <laughs> yeah, we hit, we hit the masters. But let me just think, OK, well, I'm going to throw in one that I actually did get a chance to play with. And he was lesser known. And that is the wonderful bassist Larry Gales. Does this count, though? If you yeah, I know. I already did. Well, OK, so there's OK, I'm going to show two sides of this. OK, bass players, you know, as pianists, we always think about great bass players. Larry Gales, who played with Monk. Uh, I got a chance to play with him in New Orleans in like the late 1990s, which was a lot of fun. Um, but there's another bass player. Now, we're going to go way off the, the radar in terms of well-known, Henry Grimes. Have you ever heard of that bass player? No. So he's on a, a great trio recording of McCoy Tyner that I listened to very intensely for a few months when I was a teenager on Impulse. And I want to say it's called Reaching Forth. Yeah. Uh, it was definitely Impulse, and it was McCoy. And I remember I never saw his name on any other recordings. I think he's from Philly, though. And I vaguely remember him making a reappearance like a few years ago, like he'd been off the scene. But he's just a wonderful bass player. It would have been a lot of fun to play with him just based on that one recording I heard him. I mean, all right, if we're going this route, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw in one bonus one for me, which is uh, St. Louis's own Grant Green. Oh, excellent guitarist. And, you know, he usually played with organists. So if I'm fantasizing about people that I could never, ever play with, I would be playing the organ, the B3, in Grant Green's quartet. Nice. Yeah. Now, I just did a little bit of internet research as you were – I wasn't listening. What, who are you talking about? Grant and somebody? doesn't matter. Go ahead. <laughs> no, about the Reaching Forth record, 1963 on Impulse. Uh, Roy Haynes, that's right. Roy Haynes, Henry Grimes, nice. and McCoy Tyner. So nice. there you go. Awesome. Well, I hope this uh, answers your question. What's our listener's name who, who uh, asked this one? This know? was uh, Joe. Joe. Our friend Joe. Oh, yeah, Joe. What's Joe. up, Joe? Uh, hope this uh, answers your question sufficiently, Joe. 
you know, as always, if you liked what you heard, leave a rating and a review. And uh, until next time. I'm going to interject one thing before we get to that. Dude, I just set you up for the you'll hear it. You gotta... <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at Henry Grimes on Wikipedia right <laughs> Come now. Come on, man. There's a flow to this. No, man. So this is uh, after more than a decade of – okay, he was, uh, Henry Grimes was born uh, 1935, um, a jazz double bassist, violinist, and poet. Uh, after more than a decade of activity and performance, notably as a leading bassist in free jazz, Grimes completely disappeared from the music scene by 1970. Now, I was uh, born in 1970. I, there's no relationship between him disappearing in 70 and me being born. Grimes was often presumed dead, but he was rediscovered in 2002 and returned to performing. So wow. there you go. Yeah. And he's from Philadelphia. That's right. That, nice. I, that I do, did know. So it started on the violin as many great bassists do. So what can you say but... Oh, are we really doing it now? We're out now. Are you sure? Yep. You'll You'll hear hear it. it. Ah. Ah. Thanks for listening to this episode of the You'll Hear It podcast. If you liked what you heard, please leave a rating or review. Yeah, I liked what I heard. Mm. I'm going to leave five stars, but (laughs) you guys can do whatever you want. Today's episode was brought to you by Open Studio, jazz lessons from jazz legends. Check out our brand new All Access Pass. All Access, what is that, like one or two courses you get? Dude, I said All Access. It's access to everything. Every course, hundreds, ah, thousands, tens of thousands of lessons. <laughs> Wait, me, tens me, of thousands. Well, back up, back no, up. Definitely hundreds. <laughs> We're getting close to a thousand. Everything from Christian McBride, Peter Martin, Romero Lobombo, Gregory Hutchinson, Miles Davis, Mead Lux Lewis, okay, Jelly Roll it's Morton. Just getting ridiculous. <laughs> no, some of those. The first couple, we've got them. <laughs> Check us out. OpenStudioNetwork.com. <laughs>